Well, I just want to start out by saying English is a tricky language if you haven't figured that out yet. Uh, English is a tricky language, and I really resonated with this text when it says they will be hearing but not perceiving, because that's me when I try to speak Spanish. So let me just tell you real quick. In English, the word tip could mean tip. It could also mean after the end of a good meal, you leave your server a tip. You're going to say it with me, a It could also mean, hey, I saw who broke into Dante's and ended up closing it down. I've got a for the police. You know, the beautiful thing about other languages, they have multiple words for things that we only have one word for. So we're in Spain visiting my daughter, and uh, we're there, and you don't tip in Spain. It's just built into the price. You're not supposed to do it. But we had this one lady, we went and ate breakfast at this place twice because she was just so kind. And she knew that I was trying to speak Spanish, but she's like, this guy's mind is traveling a lot faster than his mouth. So I'm helping him out. And so she's coming over and she's like reading to us like we're in the third grade. I want you to have a good breakfast. And we're like, you're so kind. And so afterwards I said, Hannah, I want to give her a tip. And she said, dad, we don't do that. I said, I want to do it. The American in me must be satisfied. And so I go up to the counter where we're, we're, we're there late. She's trying to close up and she's doing all this kind of bustling around, cleaning things, getting prepped for lunch later on, all that kind of stuff. And I say to her, permíteme darte un consejo. What I just said was, please allow me to give you a tip. To which she turns to me and does this. And then she grabs a stool and pulls it up to the counter and says, See, si, digame. See, what I told her was, please allow me to give you a piece of advice. <laughs> to which she very kindly pulled up a chair and said, All right, this guy is going to give me a piece of advice in my own restaurant. Let me please be gracious and listen. And my daughter, who is the, you know, she says, Ah, padre, la palabra es propina. The word is propina, tip. So finally, I was able to get this connection with her to go, okay, I missed you on the first one. Let me get you on the second one. So when you read this Isaiah 6 part that is also then quoted multiple times in the New Testament, maybe the most specific time is in Matthew 13, 14, when Jesus applies the same thing of they will be hearing but not perceive or, or listening. They will see but not perceive, and their hearts aren't going to be opened. And there's something in this communication of the gospel that doesn't work like we always think it does. It didn't work that way for Paul. It didn't work that way for Jesus, but it was on purpose. And so we come to this part in the text where we're wrapping up this part of the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And Paul is unwilling to be sent back to the Jews, so he appeals to Caesar. So let's, how did we get here? How did we get here? I feel like sometimes you feel like we, we parachuted in from, from 24, and now we're in 28. How did we get here? All right, so let's jump in real quick. So in Acts 25, Paul is before Festus. They want to release him, but Paul, knowing that he's not going to get a fair trial, being released back to the Jews, the Jews protest, and he says, well, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Appealing to Caesar is basically appealing to the highest court in the land. I told uh, the Bible study that I'm with on Thursday morning the other day that when my grandfather worked for the bank and someone had a complaint and it was something that he knew, he said, well, you can always appeal to Caesar, which means to bypass him and go to the branch manager. So that's to appeal to the highest court. And so who is there in this, in chapter 25 is also Agrippa. Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, and it just might happen to perplex you a little bit that his wife was Drusilla's sister, that's Festus's wife, third wife. 
And so where they're there, the Jews present this fake charges against him. Acts 26 and the end of 25, Paul then is called to be able to give his own account and address Agrippa and Festus and the court. Now, he doesn't just do this in just kind of just a, I'm laying out my, my, my case legally. He personally opens up his heart and shares his testimony. And he shares about the Damascus Road. And this is personal. This is not just, I'm trying to give you just the facts. He's like, I also want you to hear and know my heart. But so often as it is with times that you have done something, you think if they could just see my heart, they would understand. Instead, Festus and Agrippa laugh at him. But they believe that he's innocent of the charges. And though though the Jews, however, declared that they are still going to press charges against him. And they say, well, we would release him, but he's appealed to Caesar. So you know what? You've appealed to Caesar. Off to Caesar you will go. And so he begins the journey to Rome. Acts 27 is what you would call an epic sailing adventure. On the boat, they get caught in such a storm that it's very similar to the book of Jonah. They're casting aside uh, cargo from the ship. They're cutting the anchor lines. They're, you know, the, the pagan uh, sailors are praying to their gods, and Paul is praying to the Lord. And they come to the Isle of Malta, and the ship is grounded there. And then as it's grounded, the waves crash into it, and it breaks apart. And they're called up onto the shores of Malta there, which is also a Roman territory. So on the Isle of Malta in Acts 28, this begins the chapter where we're on. As they're there, as you can imagine, being in the cold sea, the first thing they want to do is start a fire. It's kind of incredible. They start a fire, and they gather up all this wood, and they're throwing it in there. And in with all the wood they've gathered up happened to be a poisonous viper. That viper is driven out by the heat and bites Paul. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a kind of a little bit of a herpetologist in my spare time, um, especially around campus. Uh, Brian Ano and I like to go around picking up snakes and delivering them to people in our office who love it. Uh, but if you know this, a, a poisonous snake will bite you and then release. Uh, but this bites and hangs on to him. And Paul is such a G. He just shakes it off back into the fire and sits back down and is like, and the islanders are looking at him like, well, he must have been a murderer. He escaped the shipwreck, but now God's going to get him with the poisonous snake, or the gods will. But as he sits there, he doesn't swell up. Nothing happens. And so they then think, well, this Paul fellow must be a god himself. While he's there on the Isle of Malta, there is a Roman officer there, or, or a Roman governor kind of the island. His name is Publius, whose father is dying of dysentery. And Paul heals Publius's father. And Publius, after three months, has his own ship given to Paul or, or dick, given to Paul in a conscription and takes him to Rome. They arrive in Rome and he's greeted by the believers and encouraged by them. So here we pick up with the text in verse 17. Paul gathers together the Jewish leaders in verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. And he gathers them in his home because he's been permitted to have a kind of a private residence. He's on house arrest, though he is chained to a guard, a Roman guard the whole time. In verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, Paul then lovingly appeals to some to them. And yet to some of them, they have a question about why are you here? If you've appealed to Caesar, it means you have a case against your own people and we can't deal with that. But he says, no, 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 no. I'm appealing to Caesar because I thought that it was the only way that I was going to be able to get a fair trial. I was going to have a kangaroo court with my own people back there. They didn't understand me, but this is an impartial court where I'll be able to be heard. And so, but then he ends with verse 20, and in verse 20 is, it all comes back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm here because I believe that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for and that he's come already. 
So in verses 21 through 22, the Jews respond specifically to the idea of who are these believers of the way. We and I would call them Christians. And he says, they say, you know, we didn't know. Can you unpack for us this? And part of it is then again is don't skip over what a blessing when anyone ever asks you, what is this whole Jesus thing about? If that ever happens to you and someone begins a conversation with you, not you beginning it, but someone, whether it is your own child, whether it is a coworker, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone that just sees you praying in a restaurant, what a blessing. Remember, what a blessing when the Lord causes someone else to knock on the door of your heart that you might be able to share. And so in verses 23 through 25, imagine the preparation that then begins to happen. Paul prepares And then the tenacity of teaching a group of people from dawn till dusk, using them to see in the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and even the prophets, all the places. And what we can see is one of the things that is impressive is that Jesus was the one that often set the dots out and people could see the dots and how they connected. But what Paul is doing here is he is visually for them going, I'm teaching you a lesson, and I want you to connect the dots between who the Lord has always been and Jesus who has come. And so part of this then, too, is comes back to this idea of the parable of the sower, which is in Matthew 13, and what Isaiah says as well. Why is it that they can see but don't perceive They listen, but they can't hear. And so verse 25b and 27, Paul quotes one of the most quoted passages that shows up in the New Testament from the Old Testament, which is this Isaiah chapter 6. And it's sobering to know that even the second greatest evangelist in the entire world had some who scoffed at him and disbelief walked out and left. Verse 28, and then I put 29 with a question mark in there. Verse 28 is that there are 30 four Old Testament verses about the Lord having a special heart for the Gentiles. Maybe the most prolific and prominent one to me being Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, where there is a specific calling for the truth that the Gentiles will one day have a place among his people in the temple. What a crazy thing to tell a bunch of Jews. Now, if you're wondering why verse 29 may not show up in your Bible, it's simply because of this. Either it didn't show up in the most reliable transcripts that we have, or let's say that there was 2,000 transcripts, it may have only showed up in 800 of them. So you get it as a footnote in your Bible, and they left disagreeing. It doesn't, it doesn't have any bearing on the text either way. And then verses 30 through 31, you got to realize this, that while they're on house arrest in Rome, Paul writes Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and he kept on being all about Jesus. It said that people were permitted to come and visit with him. And at this moment in time where you had an oppressive government, but a government, however, that introduced a universal language and a universal road system, Paul in jail is there, but the gospel is let loose. We know that Paul was probably released about two years after being there for two years. It's possible that after this, he traveled about as far as Spain. If you want to look at that, it's Romans fifteen twenty four, where he talks about his desires and plans to go to Spain. But then we know that also later on, his story comes to a different chapter when in A.D. 67, he is arrested again for a second time. Amy?
If you're new to Corinth or just if you're new to the 830 service, we share the sermon time between our two preaching pastors. So Paul will be preaching the rest of his sermon at Contemporary, and I'll be preaching my full version at Traditional, um, and I'm going to check my time. If you're looking at your watch, don't worry. Paul and I made a deal in the middle of the week, and I told him, you take as much time as you want, you preach as much of your sermon as you want, because I only have one point. There's, no, come back at 11. I really have three points, but two of them are saved for 11 o'clock. One point for this service, and it is for the front row right here. It's for the compromands. The rest of you are welcome to listen in. But I'm going to turn because it's to you guys. We get to the end of chapter 28 of Acts. It's the end of the book of Acts. It's the end of the chapter, and it's the end of Paul's story, right? Pastor Paul just told you if you're doing the math, Paul, the apostle, is going to be dead within a couple years of being in prison. He's done. But there are other things that are not done. And the thing that I want you to pick up out of the end of Acts is that your story is not done. Even though you've come to the end of something today in confirmation, it's not over. Wherever you put yourself in Paul or in this story, whether you are feeling like Paul, who's really trying to do all the right things for Jesus, but he still ends up in a really bad spot, Or if you're feeling a little bit more like those leaders who are like, yeah, I don't really know, but I'm curious. I'll hang around and listen. That's fine. Or even if somewhere deep inside you're feeling like those people who have walked away and have decided, I don't want to hear any more about this. Their stories aren't over and yours is not over. Because the beautiful, beautiful thing that we see in the book of Acts, and we've seen it since the very beginning of Acts, is that the gospel was designed to go to all the ends of the earth. Think about the word all. All the ends of the earth means it's going to all places, to all people, and that means there is nowhere on this earth that you can go that God won't show up. And going to all people means there's no version of yourself in the future that's been impacted by the consequences of your choices, the mistakes you've made, that will make God go, yeah, I don't think I can really handle that anymore. Choices have consequences. Actions lead to different things, and I can't tell you where your life is going to take you, but I can tell you that as long as you are alive, your story's not over and God's not done with you. Jesus is not going to turn away from you, and the gospel never will stop being good news. And I also want you to know that we feel that way about you too. I have asked you something like 30 times in the last week, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Tell me the first three words of your answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong. And that means you belong to Jesus and you also belong to us. Acts is the story of a God who is relentlessly pursuing all of his people to all of the ends of the earth, hoping that each and every one of them is going to hear his message, is going to see him in action, is going to accept that mercy and grace that he gives, and is going to choose to follow him. So today you are making a really, really good first step in responding to God. And I think and I hope you're doing that because you know, like we see in Acts, that we serve and we love a God who is relentlessly pursuing you who is going to be with you in whatever corners of the earth you go to because he wants you to hear him and to see him, to feel him, to know him. Acts is the story of God who is relentlessly, continuously, everywhere, all of the time, pursuing you, Piper, Susanna, Lucas, Aaliyah, Kira, Cameron, Aaron. This is your story too. 
Whatever steps and missteps are in your future, God is still there. We are still here. And the story isn't over. You belong. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have called your people into community. You've called us to be the church, and you've given us the wonderful grace of seeing stories in Acts where your people who try to love you and passionately serve you end up in places they would have never expected. We thank you for the redemption and deliverance that we see through hard times. We thank you for the grace that even in the hardest of times, we see that the story is not done yet. We thank you especially today for the gift of these confirmands for the fact that they are taking steps forward with you, and we pray that you would fill them with the confidence that comes from knowing that they belong and we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.